Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This episode is an interview with Natalie Copeland. Her show, Challenger, opens today, April 7th, at the Pocket Theater, also runs April 8th, 15th, and 16th. It's a devised show about the Challenger mission, female astronauts, science, connections, stars, space. How exciting is that, everyone? Go see it. Go check it out. More information at Pocket's website, also rockettheaterlab.com. We'll have both links in the episode description. Please enjoy episode 83 with Natalie Copeland. I'm thrilled to welcome director Natalie Copeland to the podcast. Welcome, Natalie. Hello. So we're here to talk about uh, astronauts, devised theater, ladies in space. Uh, Tell me all about this production and where it came from. All right. So I think we need to go back to the beginning here. Of time? Not quite. (laughs) We're not Neil deGrasse Tysoning this. (laughs) Um, But we're going uh, back to, all right, so in 2012... Um, I come from uh, Central Washington University. Right on. That's where I got my acting degree. Um, and our first devised project ever that they wanted to propose was kind of a goodbye project for our uh, one of our directors, at least for your Edie. Okay. And she had this idea, like, I want to do a devised piece, because um, we've never done one before, and she, I'm not sure if she picked the idea, but Challenger was the theme. Um, and I'm a space nut, and I've always been a space nut, so as soon as I heard about it, um, I said, I don't, I don't really care about the other shows going on this year, I need to be a part of this. So, um, that's what happened. We wound up being a troop of six women were being cast that day, and uh, we didn't know how that was going to pan out for a bunch of astronauts that <laughs> include men, and a story that includes a bunch of other people besides six women and we just got to it and so that first went up in 2013 in March so it's been three years now almost exactly until uh, we remount this production so when we finished that one there was the idea that we should do more with it but then we didn't we all went our separate ways and I was very profoundly moved by the project so I decided to continue it with the permission of everyone else, of course. Right. What, what, was the, what was the shape of that first iteration of the, of the production? I've, I've heard it described as devisey. <laughs> that is a fantastic word that only theater people will know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really good show. Um, it was really, it really profoundly affected those of us who were working on it, Um, and we decided when we created it that it needed to be, it wound up naturally being a story about um, these two people on our flyers, Uh, those would be, of course, teacher in space, astronaut Krista McAuliffe, Uh, and she is the one that everybody knows about because they were the person that everybody was watching once she went up, because she was, you know, the teacher, and all the kids watching were watching the teacher. Um, and it wound up being about her and her uh, runner-up, Barbara Morgan, who wound up being the backup teacher in space and was supposed to go up if something happened to Krista. Um, and, of course, she never got to go up. And 
she did eventually. Um, Barbara Morgan wound up going up uh, many years later as an actual astronaut, um, returning to NASA, not just as a teacher, educator, astronaut, but also a mission specialist. Right on. So she was like, well, I'm going to go to space anyway. So <laughs> the story wound up revolving around these two, um, and it was about... We were, we were really clear that it needed to not be about how you should be careful or that you shouldn't do things because things make you sad or like because tragedies happen and that you need to continue taking risks and that's what it's all about. So it's really like a, an Ouroboros story. It just is a circular, you know, it starts with Chris's launch and ends with Barbara's launch. So I just got shivers. Yeah. <laughs> it's... What has your process been the second time around, uh, putting together a team? What, what have rehearsals looked like? Yeah, um, so when I, we did this show, we wound up casting it, and I wound up playing Krista, and my best friend in the world, Sierra Tinhoff, wound up playing Barbara. And so I knew this time around I wanted to involve her and as many other people as possible from the original process. So. Uh, over the last couple of years, I've proposed the idea of proposing it to other theaters, and it just hasn't quite come together. But uh, this last summer, I started working at the Museum of Flight in my day job, and I said, I want to propose this here. And they decided not to take it up because of you know the implications um, with the families and stuff, because they have some, some, some donors, um, and they didn't want to upset them because of the kind of the nature of the show. It is sad. Uh, and and I, that's totally understandable, and I respect them for coming up with that stance. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and I proposed it to the Pocket Theater. And Clayton proposed it to his group, and everyone was really excited about it. And so we decided to do it. Love Clayton. Yeah, love Clayton. <laughs> um, but it's been really weird. I sat down with it after proposing it uh, and did a lot of editing. Talked to some of the people from the original cast, mostly talked to Sierra, proposed it to my associate producer, Kenna Ketrick, um, and she took a smack at it as well, and we kind of took out some of the more devisey bits that didn't sure. really contribute to the plot. Like, we had a ribbon dance where we just kind of went around talking about space, which was beautiful, uh, not entirely relevant to the story. <laughs> Um, and, and we kept the parts that were kind of more core to the story, and it's been a real distilling. We had a, a, a reading of that finally last December, and then we cast it in January. It's pretty weird to see it done by a bunch of other people. Tell me about your cast. They really come from all different backgrounds. Um, that's what I really love about them. Um, so let's see. I've got... Uh, Sarah Carnes is playing Kristen McAuliffe, and I have Jillian Sternkey playing um, playing Barbara Morgan. And then the way that I have the rest of the cast split up is that everybody plays one of the main astronauts, and they also play a bunch of other roles that come in and out throughout the show. Um, and so, featuring we have uh, Kirsten Dean is playing the commander Dick Scobie. <laughs> Um, we have Danielle Daggerty is playing... I love Danielle! Yeah. <laughs> I was in Cloud9 with her. Oh. She's going to be so thrilled she made it on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm hoping everybody listens. <laughs> she is playing the pilot, Mike Smith, 
um, as well as uh, June Scoby, who I can talk in length about um, after talking about everybody else. <laughs> um, uh, we've also got um, Leah Lee. She uh, is playing Ellison Onizuka, the first ever Asian American astronaut, um, and she is coming to us from London. Oh, Stacy Venzel, she is also new. She is a, like new to the area. She is a zoologist, actually. Um, and she is playing uh, astronaut Judy Resnick, who is uh, the second Amer American woman in space. Um, and it's really wonderful to have somebody with like a real science background in our science team. <laughs> and let's see, I've also got uh, Lily Warpinski is playing Greg Jarvis. He's like our joker of the group. He's an astronaut. Um, and we've had a lot of issues casting our Ron McNair, who is the second African-American astronaut. Um, we have had a, it's kind of a cursed role. A lot of people have, a couple of people have dropped it now. <laughs> but we have uh, an amazing and passionate actress named Miko Hall who's stepping in to take on that role as of this last week. So. Wow. Yeah. The show must go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, we were very fortunate uh, to have Leah audition for us the first time around, but we didn't have anybody auditioning for Ron, and we, it was like a huge problem of how do we reach out to, we can't just have like a white actor play this role, right. <laughs> it's, it's impossible, um, and so we've been through a lot of casting there, and I've talked with a lot of my friends, and there's a lot of discussion to be had about um, not only how white Seattle is <laughs> uh, in theater, but just how it really comes from teachers um, and like high school, middle school level being told when you're younger that like, this is a thing that you can do. You can actually do this job. It doesn't, like the roles don't just go to the white blonde person all the time. And I've had a lot of discussions with people about this. So um, it's, it's been an interesting ride. <laughs> lots of lots of uh, social issues that I didn't think I would have to deal with the first time around. So, yeah. What has it been like in the rehearsal hall? This intersection of you know the very creative and the very scientific. How is that sort of blended together in that rehearsal space? Uh, the first time around when we actually started bringing that stuff to the table and say, you know, like, this is a show about O-rings. What are O-rings? They seal the joints of the solid rocket boosters and stuff like that. It was this whole, I mean, I was very excited about it because I also come from kind of a science background and I was very excited to dig into the parts of the space shuttle. Uh, but we had an amazing actress the first time around named um, uh, Caitlin Schiller. And her dad was like an astrophysicist of some sort. And so she always came prepared with um, amazing facts and just really dug into these really thick historical documents of like the hearings after the shuttle launch uh, and just really got down to and distilled who are the main players here, who are the managers and the engineers and Morton Thiokol is the company that made these rocket boosters and who worked there and who's, whose decision was it to launch Challenger anyway and that was like a lot of really thick historical stuff to wade through and a lot of really thick science stuff to wade through and especially like it's it's definitely a challenge um presenting it in a way that's 
easy to understand. And I honestly don't know if we do. Uh, But I don't think we have to because I think that's something that's okay to not be a rocket scientist about. Uh, But to bring out the human elements of that. I love love pieces like this that are at the intersection of creative and scientific because I think uh, as theater artists sometimes we shy away from that. We don't feel qualified or whatnot, but it sounds like you have two folks that have a really strong science background, and so hopefully some of the non-science folks (laughs) get a little bit empowered by that. It's, I don't think it really even has anything to do with that. I think if you know what you're looking for, I mean, if you sit down with a document and you, you know, empower yourself to say, I understand this because I'm reading this, um, that's all you need. There's, like, some people think that they're not really, you know, good at math and they're not good at science and so they don't think they should go into it as a career path and they don't think they can understand it, but that's bullshit. I, I think that... You know, there are plenty of really amazing scientists in the field out there who got B's and C's in their math and science classes, and I'm friends with a lot of them, and I know that for a fact. And it's really just all about your passion. So if you're passionate about something in the sciences, you should just go for it. If you are writing a show about something in the sciences, just research it. If you don't know where to find like the right resources for it, just email people. I have talked to so many more people in the field thanks to not only working at the museum, um, but just going up to people and saying, hey, I'm doing a show about this. Where can I find something or other? Or can I interview you? Or do I have permission to use this section of your book? Or whatever. And it's been really wonderful and I've made some really amazing contacts and everybody's really supportive of telling these stories. Tell me about... What are some, a couple of those memorable stories about making those connections? I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Um, a couple of months after we did Challenger. No, I think it was a year after. It was a year after we did Challenger. <laughs> I knew that Barbara Morgan, you know, one of our main people in this show, uh, was teaching at Boise State, and the college theater festival was happening at Boise State that year. (laughs) (laughs) So for that reason alone, I went to the theater festival, um, and I made sure that I didn't take any classes during this two-hour period that she was available, and I went to her office, and I was so, so nervous, and I took out these pictures of the show that we had done, uh, and of me and my friend, like, Sierra, playing Barbara and Krista, and I had her autograph them, and I had her autograph this this shuttle um, pick thing that I had, uh, this little model, and she was just really wonderful to talk to. She was so sweet. She was so supportive, and uh, that was just an an amazing thing that I'll never forget. Um, Or, for instance, I also been emailing with uh, June Scobie. She is the... uh, widow of Commander Dick Scobie from the Challenger. I think she goes by June Scobie Rogers now, Um, but she had this amazing project after the Challenger. Uh, She and the other families, they got together and they wanted to create a living memorial for the astronauts. Oh, wow. And they created this education center called the Challenger Center for Space Science Education. And they're all over the country now, and they're usually part of other science centers, but it's like this simulated space mission where you get to go to Mars. <laughs> and we have one of those at the Museum of Flight. 
Oh, and fantastic. So I just got in contact with her and, and said, you know, here's this thing. She wasn't a character in the original show, but when I started working at the museum, I was handed this book from one of my supervisors, like, hey, have you read this? You, This might interest you, being that you're connected with Challenger. And after reading her book and just her amazing perseverance and just how passionate she is about telling this story years, 30 years after the disaster. Um, it's, it's been really wonderful. She gave us her blessing and uh, said there's obviously a lot of work that went into it. So those are probably the two best interactions <laughs> that I've had with real life people wow. in the sciences because of this. How do, you, how do you and the actors hold that responsibility of someone who might actually, I mean, probably won't come up to Seattle to see it, but uh, embodying, I, I remember when I was talking to Frederick Hagreen, who is in Assassins, you know, he did all this research on John Hinckley, which, of course, not as uh, respectable a character as either of these women, but uh, I don't, it just must be a great honor, right? And how do you, I mean, how have the actors sort of, do they get that? Do they sort of hold that mantle with pride a little bit of definitely representing that? Definitely, um, yeah. I it was wonderful to have these people. I, I was wondering when we started off casting new people if they would if they would know if they would care or if it would just be another show. And every one of them, by far, has come in to really appreciate these people. Um, I remember. <laughs> Uh, early on, Jillian, who plays Barbara, told me that she'd never played a real person before and that that was something new for her. And because of like this challenge that she's had, she does an amazing job embodying Barbara as like a real, living, breathing woman. With like, It's just... I, I gave the actors the second time around, since we were still in edits, the ability to like you know read all these biographies and uh, see all these movies and stuff. And I said, if there's anything in the script that doesn't feel authentic to what they would say, uh, let me know, and we'll discuss it as a group and decide if we need to change those lines. Um, and here, you can go ahead and rewrite this monologue and send it back to me, and we'll see how it works in your voice merged with their voice. And so a lot of the historical, like a lot of the lines in this whole show are actually from historical documents. And some of them are not quite from historical documents, but they started there and then they merged into something that sure. was a little more organic and less like, I am an interview. Um, <laughs> because that's another thing that we talk about is that, um, of course, 80s feminism is a little bit different than today's feminism. Um, and that a lot of times these amazing people had to put up kind of a, a show like I'm just as good as the men because Be one of the boys. I, yeah, yeah because I don't have any I, I like I don't fear kind of thing and I don't necessarily think that's true uh, and we've delved into that uh, Saying, and, and tried to find like more of the, the feminine core of this and that you can totally be a strong woman who has emotions. Um, right. You just, you don't, you go not because you're not afraid to go. Uh, you go because it's important and because maybe you are afraid, but you know it's what you need to do. So. I 
hope that like all of the high school high school women interested in science come out to see this show because I think unfortunately um, girls get dissuaded right they do and how have you have you been thinking about that when you've been building this show and how this could be an inspiration to help girls be passionate about science I would like to, in the future, build stuff that's more education-friendly um, so that I can take it more places. This show doesn't come from the perspective of we're doing this. It doesn't come from a place of we're doing this right. for high schoolers. But it, we were all practically in high school when we first, first wrote it anyway. We were like graduating college, but that's only four or five yeah. years away from each other. Right. Um, so in the future, I'd like to do more of that. I think you can definitely see that in this piece. Um, but it doesn't do a whole lot of, like, stay in school <laughs> like you normally yeah. get. For you can be a scientist, too. Yeah. The characters just are, and hopefully their yeah. strength proves that that And And Krista, possible. you know, she taught um, a high school classroom. Um, you know, she taught social studies in Concord, New Hampshire, and she was always doing a really good job at showing her kids what to, like what a person does um, and same with Barbara uh, they were really Barbara has this quote about like you never really know something until you get a little bit of it on you um, and I think oh I love that yeah right great. <laughs> so she she's, she talks about how she's getting some stardust on her finally and stuff and it's just it's so oh moving oh my gosh but, but Krista um, she has a line in the show about how um, you know this is 1986, and, and, and Sally Ride became the first woman astronaut until, like, in, in 1984, 1985. Uh, and so she has this line about how women have not been pushed to go into the sciences at all because they couldn't be astronauts until literally a year before that scene happened. Why? So Educate me. Why was it? Was it just... They just weren't um, accepted into the field. Well, the thing was, if you go back to the Mercury 13, uh, which is way back when they were setting up the Mercury capsules, uh, they did have a bunch of women who wanted to be astronauts, but at that point there were a lot of regulations in place uh, about who could be a NASA astronaut and who couldn't. NASA was really new, um, and so they were mostly going by Navy standards at that point in time. And, of course, women couldn't be combat, um, right. and they also couldn't be you know, Navy pilots at that time. I mean, there were a lot of women pilots, a lot of really talented women who, and they proved through the Mercury 13 program, of course, which none of those women ever got to become astronauts, uh, but they proved that they were, of course, just as good, if not better, to send into space <laughs> because they used less, less oxygen and they were even better under pressure and stuff, but they, of course, were never given a fair chance. Um, even in all of their, their interviews and, and, and stuff and, and trying out for the program, uh, they had to go one by one, and the men were, got to do it all together. And so there's, there's a Boo. little bit of that. <laughs> so it's actually, there's a lot of fascinating stories behind why women weren't in NASA until much, much later. Uh, and when they finally loosened the restrictions after Apollo, it was because they, they wanted scientists to start going up so that they could do things in space. Um, and so then it was easier to get into NASA through the uh, I'm a very accomplished scientist route than through the I'm a very accomplished pilot route. And that has happened now. We do have some lady space commanders, so... <laughs> That's the name of my new band, Lady Space Commander. I would, I would love to be a part of that. 
So I want to make sure that we give folks all the details. Tell me your run dates and where folks can get tickets. Yes. So you can see us at the Pocket Theater. Yeah, Pocket. Um, you can go to their website, pocket.org. Uh, and then you can click on their calendar, and you can see Challenger there. Uh, more specific links are not as helpful, I think. <laughs> um, we also have our own website. We're rockettheaterlab.com, uh, and you can click on our page and, and like see our show, and that'll link directly to that as well. So we open this Thursday, April 7th, and that's our only 7 p.m. show. Uh, and then we also have shows on April 8th, April 15th and April 16th, all at 10 p.m. So it's a Thursday, Friday, then a Friday, Saturday. I'd imagine this is a pretty awesome show to have late night. You know, it's... I'm not sure. <laughs> but the pocket is a I great space. I just think of the stars. I think of the stars, and there's more stars out then. But uh, I'm really excited for folks to... Your enthusiasm is absolutely infectious. It's obvious feel that myself you're so red, passionate. So. <laughs> so passionate about this story uh so let's let's go back in time a little bit okay uh your your origin story yes so are you (laughs) in middle school like making plays and looking up at the stars in your backyard at night how did you (laughs) how did you get into so passionate about both science and theater it's a interesting story actually i think i've always been pretty fascinated by space i i grew up in florida and we had amazing night skies um, and we could go camping underneath them and we had a telescope when i was younger but i didn't know how to use it (laughs) but i watched so many space thrillers as a kid about you know apollo 13 and armageddon was the worst and even that one episode of the magic school bus where ralphie goes out on pluto and his head freezes (laughs) oh my god freaked me out yeah i was yeah under the impression from pretty early on like you cannot be an astronaut because astronauts die and so therefore you don't want to die so don't be an astronaut and and nobody ever really told me any different um, probably because I also had a whole bunch of other passions at the time sure. they're like well I guess maybe you don't want to be an astronaut that's okay <laughs> um, but I never really considered it from there on in uh, when I was in high school I you know, I, I did theater throughout my entire life. Um, got very, very passionate like about it. I was president of the drama club, blah, blah, blah. All those things that every now professional actor probably identifies with. Right. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go into aerospace design on the ground and, uh, or whether I wanted to go into theater. And at that point... I was studying AP Calculus, and I was like the lead in my school musical, and I couldn't do everything all at once, and so I had to drop one thing, and so I dropped Calculus, because I, you know, can't drop the lead. You've already been rehearsing. You can't let people down. So that kind of made the decision for me about what I was going to go into, and then I went into my BFA in musical theater at Central. What was the show? Can I know what the show was? What was the show, and what was the role? Uh, it was Little Shop of Horrors, and I was playing Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> that show in and of itself is an interesting intersection of theater and science. But it anyway, really or science well, fiction. Science fiction. I love the whole genre. I love Scott O'Moore's works here yes. in Seattle. It's just so wonderful. <laughs> but I think there's definitely an, like there's a, there is a good 
science fiction theater crowd, and they're fun to hang out with. Well, CUNY Humans is, you know, yeah. going to Annex soon. Very excited. a prime example. <laughs> uh, and, all the, yeah, a lot of the um, comic book geekery. I like that intersection mm-hmm. of not only science and theater, but theater and comic books, which... It does make sense, but it sort of takes a moment to make sense. I think, at least in my head, but I don't think in a linear way. They both are. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of um, Eddie DeHaze's comic is coming out this week. Right! (laughs) Is Storm and Desire? I'm not going to... Am I saying it right? I think so. I don't know. You know what? Hey, we'll link to that in the episode description, too. (laughs) Check out Eddie DeHaze and Scott O'More's collaboration. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're we're degenerating here. Degenerating? I mean... (laughs) There's no one way to do a podcast. That's true. Uh, what's up next for you? What are you work? What's what's beyond Challenger for you? Well, uh, in order to produce Challenger, I had to create a devising ensemble for science theater, <laughs> um, which I'm now calling Rocket Theater Lab. Uh, we have had a couple of people reach out to us uh, for a couple of different projects, um, <laughs> but I have nothing official on the docket for now just because we're going to see how they pan out but teaser we're thinking about doing something with rovers maybe another best friend story about you know two rovers that go to a planet together and look for water or something like that (laughs) their names might be real rover names and that might be a real story that's happened before but (laughs) we're not sure how that's going to pan out um what advice do you have for theater artists who want to, who maybe have a, a real world story that they're really passionate about that they connect to and they want to share it with others? What do you have like a devising 101? <laughs> um, I go by kind of a different uh, model than some other directors that I know. And uh, I think that makes me a little different to work with sometimes. And that's something that my cast has in- encountered this time around. But I, don't believe in putting people down. I don't believe in saying your work sucks. I think that devising has to come from a place of like you respect everybody's ideas. They put them on the table. Uh, you listen to them for at least five minutes. You try them uh, and you see whether it works or not. And if it doesn't work, then you have to understand that what you brought to the production was for the production. And if it doesn't serve the good of the production or the overall vision, that's okay. You can keep it for yourself, or you, you know, sometimes you have to kill your babies. That's what I think devising is mostly about, being very, very passionate about your babies and bringing them and presenting them and listening to them and then killing some of them. There are a lot of things that we cut from the original production that were really beautiful, but that just ultimately didn't have a place in the ultimate story, and they have a place in history, and they were definitely very helpful for helping to figure out what the ultimate production would be about. Like, I remember that Sierra and I, one night after rehearsal uh, for Challenger, were just sitting in the car, like, talking about the production and about people and just about themes that have been raised about risk-taking and danger. And I've personally always, like, my big demon is I was raised by atheists and I've always had issues with death. And a lot of people do. Like, that's not unique. But I was just sitting there in the car and I started crying because I realized that you can be so passionate about something that even I would be willing to die for something. 
and I'd never had that realization before. And I, I wrote it all down and I took it in to rehearsal and ultimately no scene ever came from that. Um, something might have. Actually, there, is, there, is, there was originally a scene between Barbara and Krista before the launch that um, had to be scrapped the second time around just because it wasn't authentic to real life. It wouldn't have been what actually happened, but it really informed the thematic decisions behind what is this show about. So, yeah. It takes a long it's time. All the feelings and I all know. the facts and <laughs> science and my head is spinning. Yeah, I can't wait to do it again. I don't know about what, but I can't wait to do it again. This, this show has really changed my life and my life's course. So, you want to talk, talk, tell me more about that? Changing your life's course <laughs> like a star in the sky? No, I'm not going to start talking about science. No. Metaphors. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mentioned that my day job is now at the Museum of Flight, and I am very privileged to, within the past month, actually have been transferred to an educator job that allows me to actually work in the Challenger Center. So now I get to take kids to Mars on a lot of days, and it's really wonderful. What have been some of the best reactions from those kids in, in the simulator? Well, I'm still training. You're still training. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, I just can't even imagine. It's been that many days, but I... My favorite was this last week, uh, a kid in a NASA shirt had come and he was leaving uh, the spacecraft after we finished, you know, landing on Mars and going back to Earth. And he just exclaims in the loudest voice, that was the nerd fest I was here for. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely amazing. Oh yeah. And it's wonderful to be able to answer their questions about Mars and, and to have those kids that raise their hands and say, like, oh, yeah, it has this much of the atmosphere and this much of the gravity, and did you know? And you have to stop them and be like, all right, a hand from someone else, but secretly I want to pull them aside and say, hey, let's have lunch together. But you're 11, so you can't. Keep being excited about that. I yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a really unique thing right now is folks who are younger than we are being really passionate about something, like, just getting so excited that they're vibrating about science or Mars. That's so or cool. I, I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we can witness. Yep. <laughs> because we, we do get... We do go into zombie mode, I think, a little bit with our, all our devices and internet. And my friend and I were talking about how our attention spans are just less and less as human beings, right? Yeah. As all this stuff sort of flies at us electronically, but then that pales in comparison to folks frickin' heading out into space to try to uncover mysteries about the universe. Yeah. The media portion actually does kind of tie into the show, but yeah, the media can sometimes really zombify. It's upsetting. Um, and it's it's really... I think it's really important that, you know, everything has an upside and a downside, and you just have to find the thing that you're positive about, that you can see the upside of, like, definitely this disaster is a sad thing. Um, Right. And it's one of the first, like, big disasters that ever happens on, on TV. 
um, and with the whole nation watching and stuff. Um, and I mean, it's it's kind of a weird thing to. It almost sounds kind of perverse when I say that I'm like obsessed with this disaster, but it's. It's not because people are dying. It's because of the people's lives that, like, they lived and stuff. So, I don't know. Just got shivers again. <laughs> I give this podcast five out of five shivers. <laughs> five out of five the shivers. Um, this has been amazing. Can you sort of take us out with maybe a couple of your favorite lines from the show? Give us a taste of it. Um... Well, I mean, the show starts and ends on a Carl Sagan monologue, so I'd have to say that's obviously one of my favorite parts. Will you do, can you do that for us? Will you? The whole monologue? A part of it. Maybe your favorite favorite chunk yeah. chunkage of it. Um, here, I'm going to do the ending monologue so I don't ruin the beginning for anybody. Love it. Perfect. Um, but uh, Nez, th- this one's part... This one's not really Carl Sagan, but it is something that Nesbitt, um, in, in Toy Story, that's the guy who, uh, <laughs> so, so a weird analogy. Um, that, remember when Buzz Lightyear's all like, oh, this is Nesbitt. Yeah. Nesbitt is the voice of NASA throughout this tragedy. Oh I'm the one who, like, says the whole, uh, you know, countdown, et cetera. Right. Um, but at the very end, we have him narrating the end, and he says, the thing is, there's a danger of being too timid. We're in a dangerous business, and we all need to understand that. We work as hard as we can to make it safe, but if you really want to be safe, you're not going anywhere. You don't launch. That's not why we're here. So. I love that. That's fantastic. You've been an amazing guest. Thank Thank you you for coming on the podcast. Folks, you're not going to want to miss Challengers at Pocket Theater April 7th, 8th, 15th, and 16th. Go to thepocket.org. Go to rockettheaterlab.com. Follow Rocket Theater Lab on the Facebooks. Natalie, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Katie.